today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. It's all about the uh, the federal budget yesterday. Uh, it was a weird day in Ottawa, to say the least, yesterday. Uh, starting off, of course, with the uh, Judiciary Committee deciding that our work here is done, uh, much to the chagrin of the uh, opposition members on that committee. And the fallout from that happened later on in the afternoon at 4 o'clock when Finance Minister Bill Morneau rose to deliver the budget, which is a tradition, of course, in Ottawa for federal budgets. But the uh, opposition parties uh, didn't want to let him have the floor. The SNC-Lavalin corruption scandal has entirely consumed Justin Trudeau's government for the past six weeks. And just now, the Finance Minister presented a budget as though it were business as usual. It is not business as usual. And we could not stand by while the Liberals pretended otherwise. That was uh, Mr. Shear's explanation for, uh, first of all, the foot stomping and desk thumping and eventually walking out during the budget. Anybody who tried to watch this on television or listened to it on the radio yesterday uh, noticed that Mr. Morneau was essentially drowned out by the opposition members. It was uh, not a shining moment for anybody in the House of Commons yesterday, to be sure. Joining us to talk about this is uh, David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent for Global News. Hi, David. How are you doing this morning? Yeah, good morning, uh, Bill. And we were, I was in the lockup, of course, all yeah. uh, day, and we heard, I think it was about, uh, uh, you know, word had got into us at about 2.30 in the afternoon that, uh, yes, the Conservatives were planning to do some delaying tactics, and we've seen those before. They did it a couple of years ago, delayed it by, I don't know, about 20 minutes. Um, but, you know, you can, you can roll with that. Um, but then we also didn't know that the Liberals had a little procedural hanky-panky up their sleeves and that they did manage to table the budget, like literally put the budget on the table of the clerk in the House of Commons uh, as markets close. So the budget was out at 4 o'clock, but you're right, we didn't hear the traditional finance minister's speech. Uh, uh, well, we hardly heard it at all, but it did get going. I saw his lips moving. But <laughs> yeah. That, that was about well, he's going to... I mean, really, the, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people who do tune in at, you know, four in the afternoon on budget day. Uh, obviously, we do here in Ottawa. But really, the sales job happens now. The campaign happens now because, yeah. of course, this is really an election document more than anything else. $22 billion in new spending was uh, announced in this program, a lot of new spending programs. But most of that spending and some key programs do not start until after the election. So the message is pretty clear. Re-elect the Liberals. If you like the spending programs, elect somebody else. You're going to put these programs at risk. So uh, that's clearly what uh, the Liberals are betting. And more, you know, Bill Morneau was in Toronto this morning at a, I think a, you know, economic club speech, selling the budget. He's back in Ottawa this afternoon, and then I'm sure he'll be coming to Hamilton, doing the whole uh, southwestern Ontario tour to try sell this budget to save Liberal seats. Of course, that uh, in liberal-rich southern Ontario. This is a, a typical election ploy, though, isn't it, really, David? I mean, to, to backload this thing with all sorts of goodies or tax cuts or whatever a government wants to, to do to try to attract attention. But that's the codicil always. you got to elect us first, or re-elect us in this case. Yeah, and this, obviously, the Trudeau government is not the first government to try this trick, and it's, of course, incumbent on the cons the opposition, conservatives and New Democrats, uh, and the uh, media, of course, to say, hey, wait a minute. Uh, and, you know, one of the things I think that the liberals are going to find out is that they, they did open up or leave open um, their left flank. And I've talked about this before, how I think they, they've already were vulnerable on their progressive flank, you know, broken promises on electoral reform, broken promises or not enough action on climate change. Well, one of the big issues to the New Democrats is a national pharmacare program. They, they first came up with that. They want to have that as quickly as possible. And the liberals took very baby steps. And 
really won't get anything off the ground for two or three years, again, after the next election. So I think you'll see the New Democrats come hard at the Liberals saying, hey, this is not sufficient. Uh, Canadians want a national pharmacare program. This is the NDP talking. And uh, the Liberals uh, didn't do anything about it. So vote NDP and we'll take steps to get your national pharmacare going. And, and that seemed to be the polarization that I noticed in some of the comments yesterday, David. Uh, obviously from the right, uh, Mr. Shear was talking about deficits. And uh, when he yep. started, when he finally got around to talking about the budget after the, the SNC-Lavalin thing. Uh, and you're right. I mean, Jagmeet Singh on the other side was uh, suggesting, and I heard a lot of comments from other commentators, too. They were expecting something about Pharmacare. I mean, basically what Mr. Morneau said yesterday was old news. We already knew that Eric Hoskins was looking into this, and they've allocated money for his his work in the budget. Uh, but people want to see some action on this, and, and it, like you said, it's at least two or three years away. Yeah, so, I mean, that, and there is, I think, uh, only a billion dollars set aside for the National Pharmacare Program again over six years, and we really don't get into spending it until five, six years down the road. I mean, that's one. And then there's the housing issue, and this was, uh, you know, a pre-election talk. There was a lot of talk about liberals are going to try to make it easier for first-time homebuyers, and they did introduce a couple of plans uh, that they say make it easier for first-time homebuyers, uh, but what they didn't do was increase or make some programs to increase the supply of Home, new, you know, entry level homes for sale. And when you increase the demand for something, of course, by making it easier for new first time home buyers to get into the market and you don't increase supply, well, this is basic economics. You're going to put upward pressure on the price of entry level homes. And again, that's just going to hurt affordability for folks in the greater Hamilton area, folks in the greater Toronto area. Uh, uh, we have economists on the left and the right, you know, Bay Street economists and folks from progressive think tanks saying, the, the measures the government took here actually works against making homes more affordable. And once again, we come back to, I think both conservatives and new Democrats can pick at this, because I think this is a big deal, particularly for the millennial generation, people looking to start a family, looking to get out of their rental home, looking to get out of their parents' basement and get into a home. I'm not sure what the government did here is going to help a whole lot, and it may make things worse in some cases. Well, and I, I should point out, uh, Bill, that Bill Morneau, yesterday when I brought, the, I asked him about this, he said, Aiken, you're wrong. It's not the first time I've been told I'm wrong about the comments. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, but, but look, we've talked about this uh, the, uh, the specific aspect of this a number of times, and I know some people may be dismissive. Oh, yeah, affordable housing. That's uh, one of those left-wing things. One of the strongest voices that I've had on my show about this was Tim Hudak, who's the former leader of the Ontario PCs, and, of course, he's now the president of the Ontario Realtors. And he says it's sure. about housing stock. That's one of the reasons we had a housing crisis. You didn't have to put caps on or say foreign investment. Build more houses. Give more stock. That's what lowers prices and they don't seem to get that yeah and so in our lockup we bring every news organization brings some experts into the lockup to help out with this and one of the experts rebranding was a guy named don carson i've known him for years he's an accountant with mnp uh works in the gta and he noted that you may remember this a, a few years ago i forget the acronym there was a program for MERBs, I think multi-use residential buildings or something, MERBs. Anyways, what it was was it didn't cost the federal government a lot of uh, money. It was more a tax incentive to get people to build uh, more uh, residential housing, not for rental but for purchase. In other words, things first-time home buyers can buy. And it actually was very effective. A lot of uh, home buyers took advantage of this program. They got some tax breaks. They were able to write off, the, you know, depreciate things quicker, and it increased the stock. So there are ways to do this to, to, that the government could have said, let's, let's find a way 
that home builders will want to build more homes. We didn't see that yesterday. Instead, we saw some programs to help home buyers. And here's one of the one of the programs. Think about this. They they're going to allow you, a first-time home buyer, to dip into your RSP even more than you can now. Right now, if you have an RSP, you can take out 10 grand, put that towards a down payment on a home. You got to repay that 10 grand of your RSP, but you can use that. Now you can take out $35,000 of your RSP. But let me ask you, how many people in their early 20s or late 20s, early 30s have $35,000 in their RSP already? I, I didn't. I'm trying to save then. Uh, I'm not sure a lot of people are going to go, oh, yeah, well, I was just had that all that sitting around. So it's there now. You can use it. But I'm not sure how many people can use that. So, uh, And then the other thing was letting the CMHC essentially become a part owner of your home. So the CMHC will give you an interest-free loan for part of your uh, mortgage, and they're going to take a chunk of it. But it's basically capped on homes that cost $500,000 or less. Yes, again, and I, I, I know because I used to work and live in Hamilton, you can buy probably a nice starter home for 500000 or less. But once you start getting into the greater Toronto area, $500,000 doesn't get you a whole lot. And so I'm, again, not sure how many people will be able to take advantage of this program. No, five hundred grand will get you a nice garden shed in, G, in the GTA. That's about it. Uh, but I, I was talking to some folks in real estate about this this morning, and, and actually the morning was very concerned about this and said, you know, on, on the surface it looks good that they've offered incentives and some financial incentives, but he was worried that it's going to cause another bidding war on real estate properties like we had about three or four right. years ago. Uh, and that's, exactly. that's, that's making a bad situation worse. Yeah, no, and that's exactly it. It is going to essentially uh, increase the affordability problem, and you know we're right back to where we started. And so let, let's loop back to the election. I've said, been saying this for the last six or seven months. If you can figure a way to help millennials, people starting out, they want to start a new family, they want to get into a home, they want to have what their their parents had, which is a nice home in the suburbs and two kids and a cat and all that sort of thing. If you can help that millennial voter out, I think you're onto something. Because millennials, for the first time in this election, they're going to be the single largest voting bloc, bigger than the boomers. For the first time ever, the boomers are not the big uh, heavy hitters here. It's those millennial voters. Now, millennial voters have not typically come out and voted in an election, but they did last time. In 2015, their voter participation rate uh, jumped from like around 40% to uh, the uh, mid-60s. We don't know if they're going to show up and vote again this year, but last time they did, and a lot of them voted liberal. So this is, I think, a key demographic that all parties, I think, have to think about uh, as they're thinking about programs for 2019, for this uh, election season. One of the other uh, demographics that uh, I know you were talking about in the days leading up to this, David, that you thought they might go after is, uh, is university and post-secondary and, and people that are graduating. And, and what they uh, proposed yesterday was almost a counterpoint to what the Doug Ford government was doing. Uh, they've made it easier to pay off student loans now, you know, giving them a little more freedom like this and actually reduce the rate. Uh, which obviously is targeted towards that generation. They, I mean, they're they're about to be millennials, but they are voting people. Right. So, uh, so that you're right. That absolutely, the the one of the in the this this budget sort of had a little bit for everybody, home buyers. Uh, we could talk about what they're doing for seniors, and yes, uh, for students, uh, they're going to make it easier to repay your student loan. You can get an interest-free student loan, uh, and they think it's important that m more Canadians try to get into uh, post-secondary education, uh, and, and that's fine. But you're right that that sort of raises the issue of when you when you're a federal government and you're introducing new programs. Uh, will those programs work in harmony with existing provincial programs?
uh, sort of provincial priorities. And quite clearly, you know, the uh, the Ford government is at loggerheads, obviously, with the Trudeau government on any number of issues. And, you know, this may be another area where so there's some cross-purposes going on. Why the rebate for electric cars? Uh, I, I, and I'm, we know yeah. that every, everybody <laughs> talks about that as this future, and even the automotive industry is talking about that. The sales just aren't there. Uh, there's some concern here. I, I heard a little bird tell me that this may actually be a bit of a crumb to throw at GM to say, look, if you want to start building uh, Chevy Volts in, in Oshawa, uh, we're going to offer a rebate program. I, I don't know if you can connect those two dots, but it seemed kind of incongruous that all of a sudden that would be in this budget. Actually, I hadn't heard that, Bill, but that's uh, that connection to GM. It sounds as good as me and Annie. Listen, I don't know if you saw this, but somebody was mentioning in the lockup yesterday, Greg Cerbera, the former uh, oh, sure, you know, yeah. Ontario Liberal Finance Minister. So Greg Cerbera apparently wrote something in, uh, I think it was in the paper. Anyway, here's this anecdote. Cerbera bought one of these Teslas, okay, an all-electric vehicle. Now, he's in downtown Toronto in the middle of winter. It's cold, and he lives up in Woodbridge. And what's that? You know, 30-minute drive, 40-minute drive? Anyways, his Tesla has an advertised range of 300K. Sure, that's in California or in (laughs) Vancouver. But when it's freezing cold, you know this with your iPhone battery. When it's freezing cold, the battery just dies fast. And so he starts driving home, and he's noticing, oh, my God, his battery life is just disappearing. And he was saying in whatever he was writing, it was like that Apollo 13 movie. Remember, they're trying to get back to Earth <laughs> yeah. and turning off all the computers and all the juice? It was like that. He couldn't run his heat. He was running red lights to try to preserve the battery. So I think until you know we see an advancement in the technology on these electric cars, uh, you know, if you're a if you're a one car household, you're going to stick with gasoline. It's really for a two car household, and that typically is a more affluent household. If you want to consider the electric vehicle, but then it's really, do you want to buy one in in a cold climate for even a commute that might only be thirty or forty kilometers a day? The technology may not be there. So great, you can get a, a bit of a. Uh, uh, a rebate now, the zero emission rebate on uh, these vehicles, but um, it, it still may, it's, it's a technology maybe still not ready for prime time in uh, even in Toronto, even in Hamilton, where the winters can get cold, but they ain't as cold as you're going to get in, uh, you know, say Edmonton or something like that. David, uh, obviously Bay Street's got some mixed emotions about this. There's a lot of criticism about uh, what was presented yesterday by Mr. Morneau. So it's not going to sell on Bay Street, but is it going to sell in small-town Ontario? Is it going to smell, sell in the suburbs? Because that's, that's really, I think, well, what they're shooting for here, isn't it? You know who is jumping up and down after this budget is mayors, mayors and municipal yeah. councils. Why? Because the feds kicked in uh, sort of a one-time big, huge chunk, $2.2 billion, into what's called the federal gas tax fund. And this is a fund that municipalities can tap into to spend money on anything they want. They don't need provincial approval. It's, you know, you got a pothole, you got some sidewalks, you got a, you know, some sewers to fix. Mayors love this. So, uh, they're pretty happy about that. And that will flow down into small town Canada, smaller municipalities. Uh, they should enjoy that. I still think that so far as commuters in suburbs go, there's, uh, there's still a carbon tax in Ontario, right? And we yeah. know that because it was imposed on Ontario. And, you know, uh, I just did my taxes. And sure enough, the Aiken household, we got the, quote, carbon tax rebate. It's not called that. It's got some other bureaucrat name, a climate action initiative or something. But I got a few hundred bucks extra. And I'm looking. I'm a commuter. And I'm going to be monitoring, you know, the uh, gas prices and other prices to see if I feel I've come out ahead or not. But to the extent that folks who commute... Uh, every day uh, where you live, Bill, and there's you know hundreds of thousands of them, uh, are they going to be better off or worse off with the carbon tax and with the carbon rebate 
program. I think that is going to be the bigger thing that weighs on voters as they consider who to vote for uh, this fall. Obviously, the liberals are betting, hey, that rebate is going to be bigger. You're going to love it. And, of course, we've heard from the likes of the Ontario Premier, Doug Ford, saying uh, this is terrible tax on everything, raising the cost of everything. That's the battle, I think, for sure, uh, in uh, in that whole uh, you know horseshoe stretching from Pickering all the way around down to Niagara. That's, that's going to be a big debate. Absolutely. David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent with Global News. David, thanks as always. Appreciate the time today. All right. No problem. Cheers. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.